You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. One person is holding the baby, and their hand is gently over the mouth as to keep the baby quiet as they are sneaking through the alleys in the dark. The other is, is, is holding whatever important possessions that they can keep with them that have not already been taken and stolen from them. Their house has already been destroyed and burned down. And as they're walking through the streets at night, they look up and they see the torches that are lighting their way through the alleys. They see their son with a spear through his body dipped in tar as he is the light of that alley as they are running through the streets dodging the authorities. They have nothing but they are holding. Knowing that this trip and this journey is too difficult, with tears they had to say goodbye to their elderly parents who were left there. This is the life of the early church that Peter was writing to in First Peter. It was a church community that was blamed for a catastrophic event in Rome. Nero, who was the emperor, was losing his mind. He was vindictive and violent. He hated Christians, often using them to light up the night, uh, literally mutilating them, torturing them, and burning them alive. He, it is said, caught the city on fire. Half the city burned down, and he blamed it on the Christians. And as a result, Christians were now open season for violence, murder, and hatred. They began to escape and run from Rome in the dead of night, and they were exiled and no longer allowed to be back in the Rome uh, uh, area, the city of Rome and the Roman Empire. The reputation for Christians got out that they cannot be trusted. So Peter's writing to a group of Christians in chapter one, he says, to the exiled, to the strangers, to the foreigners, those that are on their run for their life, who've been kicked out of their home, have no place to go. And he says, hey, remember, yes, you might be in exile where you're at, but we're also exiles in this world. As Christians, we'll never truly be accepted. As Christians, we'll never truly be understood. As the church was growing in numbers, so was the hatred towards Christians. It was a violent and vile and wonderful time to be alive. This is the letter that he wrote to those Christians. This is the one that he said, don't forget, you're not alone. Take a look at this graphic. You know, when Jesus first walked the earth in Israel, um, he commissioned 12 disciples who then became 300 disciples, who then became uh, thousands of disciples. And over the course of of one generation, about 120 faithful followers of Christ turned into hundreds of thousands. And within two generations, it turned into millions. And by, uh, by four generations, it became the most prominent and dominant religious movement on the planet just within 400 years. But when it first started, the Jewish people of the community did not like the Christians and they began to torture them, began to stone them to death. Uh, They were responsible for Jesus' arrest and Rome's uh, conviction and and crucifixion. So they they began to flee from, from Israel and they began to preach the gospel 
to all those in the Roman Empire. But as they began to preach the gospel, go to the next slide, they weren't welcome there either. And so they, they began to be exiled. And as people became followers of Christ throughout the Roman Empire, they slowly began to be kicked out of their homes. And they began to just wander the Roman Empire, trying to find any place. These are the exiles. These are the foreigners. These are the strangers that he keeps referring to in 1 Peter and in 1 Peter, the Christians that he's writing to are currently wandering around Asia Minor, which is where modern-day Turkey is today, homeless, without a place to call their own. He writes this letter, letters to Christians moving into new communities with people who are watching this strange, weird group called Followers of the Way, and persecution followed them. And he says, remember, you're being watched Live a life that points to Jesus. Be gracious, be humble, don't be combative, be considerate, live different lives. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We talked about this last week, that we are to live a life that begs a question. He says, people are watching you, so live in such a way that people want to ask you, what's up with you? He says, don't like gangbusters kick down the door and say, the Christians are here, punk, you know? Turn or burn, fly or fry, get right or get left. You know, this is not the message. It was Live a life of gracious compassion and love for others. He says, when this happens, they'll ask you. They'll ask you about the hope that you have. And he says, and when they do, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And we really, we really spent a lot of time talking about this last week, being ready to share our faith, that we need to live it, we need to love them, we need to tell them, and we need to live it. Uh, last week, I called it the revival sandwich. So at this point, Peter's about to take a turn. And for the next two chapters, he starts talking about the dark side of living a life for Jesus. And he says this in verse 16, he says, keeping a clear conscience, we do this. We live a life for Jesus. We're ready to talk about him with a clear conscience. We, that means that we live a life that's above accusation, above reproach. We live a life that honors God so we can stand with a clear conscience before others and speak this life that we have. He says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, I was reading that. I was like, why in the world would somebody speak maliciously about someone who's doing good things? Why would, if you're loving somebody, why would somebody distrust that love, distrust that compassion, distrust that care? Because they were in a culture where nobody cared for anybody. The Roman Empire, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You look out for yourself. Actually, it kind of sounds like our world still today. And they lived in a culture that if you were doing good works and loving on people and gracious and caring people, caring for the sick and the poor and those who could not care for themselves, who in the culture of the Roman society were ostracized, kicked out, forgotten. They didn't have orphanages back then. The kids just ran the streets or they killed them. It was Christianity that began to create this whole movement that it became known as orphanages. Why would people speak maliciously about their good behavior for the same reason they do today? The world lives with incredible distrust, especially against today, particularly against the church and against Christians. 
Verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, wait a minute, there's only two options. Suffering for doing good and suffering for doing evil. What about option C? Not suffering at all, right? Can't, isn't there a, I don't have to suffer option? Guess what, if you're a Christian, you don't get the option to not suffer. You will either suffer for doing good or for doing evil, but you will suffer. Apparently, we don't get an option, and he says, sometimes it's God's will to suffer. If it is God's will in this particular situation, well, you better make sure that you suffer for the right reason, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Sometimes it is God's will that we suffer. If you're a Christian, realize that people will not always like you regardless of what you say or do, and living for Jesus will bring suffering. Suffering, the, the very thing that Christians don't even want to talk about here in America because nobody wants to suffer. We give our life to Jesus hoping that it's going to be rainbows and care bears and unicorns and good times and good vibes and goosebumps and nice feelings. In fact, this is what thousands of people come to church every day. And what they want is they don't want submission to the will of God. They want sprinkles. They want the God sprinkles. God, I, I want to I wanna feel blessed. Just give me a little bit of that blessing, Jesus. Man, I got a big week ahead of me. Come on, God, just give me a little bit. Give me a little bit. Give me a little blessing. Sprinkle my life with some application. Sprinkle my life with some relevance. Make me feel good. God, let the songs be good today. Let them be good, Jesus. Let Ted touch my heart, you know. I want some goosebumps, God, today. Just give me a little bit. What we want is we want sprinkles. We, we come into church, and we, we don't want the suffering, we want the sprinkles. And a lot of times, that's all people want out of God, is they just want to feel good, they want the vibes, they want the, they want the healed marriage, they want the restored friendships, they want to feel loved, all these things that God can do but doesn't guarantee. But what they want is they really just want a pretty, colorful, tasteful, little, nice, rainbow-colored life. We just want sprinkles. This is how a lot of us, this is um, unfortunately how some of you are. A lot of people come in, they don't want to be right with God. They don't want to live for God. They don't want to embrace the suffering that comes with following Jesus. They just want the feel-good sprinkles. Many seek the favor of God, but they don't want the faithfulness of God. Understand this, that the sprinkles of God are suffering. He gives us blessing, but he also sprinkles our life with suffering. It's part of the purpose. It's part of God's will. A few things that Paul says about suffering that I want you to know. The first thing is this, is let's be honest. Most of us here have never really suffered for Jesus. Let's be honest. I don't think there's anybody in this room that knows what suffering is. We may get mocked because we're a Christian, maybe made fun of, maybe looked down on, maybe not given the same promotions or the opportunities, or maybe if you're a Christian and you're a student at school, maybe you sit by yourself or you don't get invited to parties or you feel left out. Or maybe if you're the only Christian in your family, you feel talked about and ostracized simply because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But is that really suffering? Because the last I checked, most of us have a car 
Most of us live in a home and in a house. And, and if you choose to have one, we all have, if you want one, a TV. You, you're going to have a meal today and there's opportunities and you can go get a job if you want. And we have friends. Do we know what suffering is? You see, the suffering the early church was experiencing was real and extreme. Their homes were burned down. Their families were killed, mutilated, decapitated, property and possessions taken from them and kicked out of communities. That's suffering. But let's be honest, you don't know suffering. So when Paul begins this discussion about suffering, we were thinking like, yeah, I get like picked on at work because I don't go out and get plastered with everybody. Well, that, is that suffering? This is not to belittle our challenges, but let's be honest. We don't know what suffering is. I want you to write this down. Number two is that millions of Christians face real suffering every day. Millions of Christians face suffering today. Right now, millions of Christians are hanging on for dear life simply because they are a Christian. Take a look at this picture. The harsh reality is that suffering for Christians occurs all over the world. These are just a few of the uh, glimpses of suffering for Christians around the globe that you can find all over the world. These are, uh, if you do a search on the internet, you can find incredibly violent graphic images. I want to give you some, some statistics about this. This is the reality. is 327 million Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 327 worldwide. 327. That's one in nine face the daily threat of life uh, just for following Jesus. That means every Every day, one in nine Christians face the possibility of torture and beating today. Yearly, 400,000 Christians, it's the next slide, if you go to the next slide. Nearly 4,000 Christians are killed simply for knowing Jesus every day. Think about this. That means today, 11 Christians will be put to death because they are a Christian because they follow Jesus, because they alone serve God. 11 believers today of your family in Christ simply for being a Christian. Nearly 3,000 additional Christians every year are imprisoned for following Jesus. Every year an additional 3,000 arrested, put in jail, solitary confinement, Never to see their family and friends, sometimes for 20, 30 years. Not because they stole anything or killed anybody or damaged property, but because they are a Christian. This happens today, every day. Monthly, 105 Christian churches are burned down and vandalized. 105 every month. More Christians have died for their faith in Jesus over the last 100 years than all prior centuries since Jesus' time combined. Persecution, suffering is happening now. 
Here's a picture of the 50 most persecuted countries in the world. You'll see that it stretches all over the globe. And this chart is based upon a color basis where you've got the lighter color is high persecution and the darker color is extreme persecution. Uh, and then you have very high um, persecution in the middle. But you'll notice it in Mexico, like how is there a, a high persecution and levels of very high persecution in Mexico? Well, it's simple. 90% of Mexico is... Ca- Catholic, and Catholics in Mexico don't like evangelical Christians. In fact, almost all of the cartel are a mixture of Catholicism and the occult, and the cartel have it out for Christians. Protestants working with local Catholic communities. I've done mission work in southern Mexico where an entire church is ostracized, antagonized, vandalized by local Catholic Christians in the community simply because they preach you must be born again. This is just south of our border very high persecution, or you go to more extreme areas like North Korea or the Middle East where people's faces are cut off, people are mutilated, imprisoned, Uh, women and men are both castrated and then thrown into society as a symbol and as a warning to stay away from Jesus or this will happen to you. It happens every day. It happens every day. Let's be honest, we don't know what suffering is, but millions do. Millions, millions do. There's a book that came out uh, several years ago. It's an older book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it retells the story of believers who, because of their faith, embrace this suffering that Peter says will come and that Jesus said will come, and how in the face of suffering they responded to the persecution and the pain that they endured. There's one story that stood out to me this week as a follower of Jesus who is bound to a stake to be burned alive and to die simply because he claimed Jesus as Lord. Calm and quiet until the flames began to burn away his legs. He begins to scream and and moan as bystanders watched as his body burned, it says, and the chains that held him to the post began to turn black as coal. As the flames increased, not a feature was discerned, and he grew quiet and silent. But one who was near was surprised to hear his poor black carcass opened his mouth as two words came out. Sweet Jesus. And at that, he fell over his chains and his life was received into heaven. Fox's Book of Martyrs. There are Christians who that is a daily reality. And all they want to do is embrace sweet Jesus. And embrace the suffering that comes with knowing him. Third thing I want you to write down. If we do suffer, let's make sure it's for the right reason. Peter says this. He says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You see, we don't get to choose if we're not going to suffer. If you are a Christian, you will suffer. But you get to choose why you suffer. You see, maybe you suffer... Some of you, because of the consequences of your poor and sinful choices, and you think you suffer because you're a Christian, but it's not. It's because of your poor and sinful choices. Or perhaps some of you suffer because you're a jerk for Jesus. You think, man, nobody at work likes me because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're a jerk for Jesus. And you think, man, I'm just being bold. You're being mean. 
You know, that's why Peter says in the verses following, do, do it with patience, do it with grace, do it with gentleness. And you think you're being persecuted because you're bold, you're being persecuted because you're not exemplifying Christ's respect and love for others. But he says you get to choose to suffer because you love Jesus and you love people and you stand for what is right. Sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right, and we respond to evil with good. But in this life, let's be honest, there are those who are not Christians who respond to good with evil. And if you're going to suffer, make sure you do it for the right reason. Peter says this. He says, let me remind you, the only reason that you have hope and you have eternal life is because of suffering. He says, let me remind you, the only reason that you are a Christian is because of suffering. He says this, the very next verse, it says, for Christ also suffered. Man, think about this. He's saying, you're not alone. You're not alone. Christians, you're not alone in your suffering and in your pain and, and when you're burned at a stake and when you're uh, ostracized and when your house is burned down and when your family are killed and you feel like you have nowhere to go and you're hungry and no one will help you, you're not alone. Christ also suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered once for our sins to bring you to God. He put to death in his body. He was put to death in his body and made alive in his spirit. Imagine it's just 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. The mob attacked him, tortured him, convinced a Roman government to crucify him. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, just as he said. It's only been 30 years since the resurrection of Jesus. And this movement of Christianity is growing fast, but with incredible amounts of persecution and suffering. And this is a group of people that were kicked out of their home, have lost sons and daughters and moms and dads and husbands and wives and friends to persecution and suffering. And, and they are on the run, living on their own, and they get a letter. They get a letter from a man who walked with Jesus. They get a letter from Peter. And Peter says, remember, you're not alone. Jesus suffered too for you. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The perfect, sinless lamb of God for our sin, the great exchange, that we would trade our sinful, selfish, narcissistic, obnoxious uh, uh, habits and way of thinking in life, and in return we get eternal life, an exchange of unrighteousness for righteousness. What a beautiful exchange. Jesus was tortured, beaten, nailed to a cross, and murdered. But through that suffering, we are made alive. His suffering saves. I want to give you a few points on this suffering that saves. And I want you to write this down. The first thing is this, is that we can't out-suffer Jesus. You can't out-suffer Jesus no one has endured what he has endured. You might think, well, other people were crucified since Jesus. Yes, that's true. In fact, it was on average hundreds of people, hundreds of Jewish people were crucified monthly in the Roman Empire. Jesus was one of them. Jesus was scourged and beaten. His back became hamburger meat as he was torn apart just short of death before his crucifixion. But Paul was scourged dozens of times, beaten and mutilated and stoned uh, nearly to death many times. It seems like maybe Paul went through more than Jesus. 
And some might say, well, well, there's other people who are today, when you think about the graphic images that, are, that you can see of those that have been persecuted for, for, for Christ's name's sake, how in the world did Jesus outsuffer all of these people? Because Jesus didn't just endure the beatings. He didn't just endure the nails and the crucifixion, the torture, the mutilation. Jesus didn't just endure the cross. He endured our sin. And he bore the weight of our sin and our shame and, and, and the things that we have done that we're too embarrassed to say. Jesus not only endured the pain, but he endured the sins of humanity, past, present, future. The shame upon his shoulders for all mankind that only God himself could bear. Isaiah verse 52, uh, chapter 52, verse 13, he says, See, my servant will act wisely, referring to the Messiah. He says he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, speaking of the cross. He says, and just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and as form marred beyond any human likeness. Verse 15, so he will sprinkle many nations. The word there does not mean like a little dabble, do you? Like I talked like a sprinkle. The word there is properly translated splattered. The idea is that Jesus, he will splatter the world with his blood. He will splatter the nations with his grace. His blood will fly everywhere. It's powerful. You can't outsuffer Jesus. The next thing about this suffering Savior is that we can't outsin Jesus' suffering. He says this, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Everybody say once. Some translations say once and for all. Let me tell you something. We don't have a picture of a cross with Jesus on it in the middle of our room because he's not on the cross anymore. And he's not there. He's not dying again and again and again. And when we take communion, we remember that moment. We don't, you know, we, we symbolically remember what he paid for and, and the price was poured out. But when we take communion, he's not crucified again. Because he was crucified once and for all. Crucified once for all time. He's not on the cross anymore. The grave is empty. He says, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Listen, that sin and that shame that he carried is able to carry every sin and every shame. No person is beyond the grace of Jesus. You can't out-sin Jesus. If you're here today and you think maybe you've done too much, you've gone too far, you've hurt too many or maybe you've experienced too much and you've thought too much and you've acted out too much. No matter who you are, once and for all, that cross, that blood, that violence was for you. And you can't out his suffering. And why would he do this? Says to bring you to God. He did this to bring you home. He did this to bring you home. Then Paul gets, sorry, then Peter in his letter gets a little confusing. And he 
goes off on this little trail that a lot of times ministers will skip because it's weird. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. And we don't have to agree on my understanding of this because this is a very odd passage with many different views. But I'm going to give you what mine is, all right? Verse 19, he says, and after being made alive, that means referring to Jesus after his death on the cross, he was still alive in spirit before his resurrection. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. What does that mean? Well, he gives an example. He says, well, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in and only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. Now, there's different views of what this means. And uh, there are some that believe that, that when Jesus died on the cross in that three-day period, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, before he rose again, where did he go? What did he do? You know, what happened those three days? We know that he did not ascend into heaven until the ascension, until his resurrection. So what happened on those three days? Ephesians 4 tells us that he went and set captivity free. Those that were captive, he set free. What does that even mean? Well, in the Old Testament, nobody went to heaven. Nobody went to heaven. There was no salvation. There was no forgiveness of sin. There was no blood that was shed. So what happened to all those guys like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Adam, and Eve, and Ruth, and, and Noah, and Moses? What happened to all these guys? Well, the Bible says in the Old Testament, everybody went to a place called Sheol. As Sheol just means the grave. It means the place where the dead abide. In Greek, it's also known as Hades in, in Greek mythology. It's the place where the dead go. And Sheol is compartmentalized based upon what happens to the person in their life in this earth. So for example, if you are rebellious towards God, Sheol is described as a place of torture and violence and punishment. But if you are a follower of God, like in the Old Testament, like a Moses or, or an Elijah or an Isaiah, someone who served God, they go to a place of Sheol known as paradise, a place of blessing. But neither one is the final judgment. Neither one is hell. Neither one is heaven. It's the place where the dead go. And one part is a place of blessing. The other place is a place of punishment. What did he tell the man on the cross when he was, being uh, when he was dying on the cross. There was a man who was on a cross next to Jesus at his crucifixion. Jesus cried out, it is finished. The price for our salvation was won on the cross, not in hell, not in Sheol. It is taught by some that at this time after the crucifixion that Jesus snuck into hell and like some mission impossible guy made his way into the office of Satan, saw the keys of death, hell, and the grave, grabbed them. It was a three-day journey. And he was able to get out and go, ha-ha, sucker. And he won the gates and he snatched him. Or someone said that there was some kind of fight that he went to hell and he duked it out with demons and it was a round of, of fighting and and knocking in a battle and spiritual war with the devil. That never happened, guys. That's not in the Bible. He told the man on the cross, what did he tell him? This thief on the cross who began to repent, he said, today, I'll see you in paradise. I'll see you in paradise today. Jesus went to Sheol, the place of paradise. And I believe 
This reference that Peter makes is, Peter is saying that during that time, Jesus walks into Sheol, paradise, what's up guys? It's done. I won. Guys, your prophecies have been fulfilled. Isaiah, you were right. This is me. Job, the one you were crying out for, I'm right here. Adam, all is forgiven. Come on, guys. Let's party for three days. And then on Sunday, let's ride out of here like the redeemed. So he preached salvation to those that were imprisoned. Ephesians 4 says he set captivity captive. What he, he captivated them to a new captivity to himself. All right. Now, some will say that when he died, he went to hell and said, hey, y'all are losers. You know, he spoke to the imprisoned souls. You all lost. He might have done that too. But I tend to, to feel that Jesus shows up and says, hey, we got it. I won. Three days, prophecy fulfilled. Let's get out of here, guys. And he led him to salvation. We don't know exactly what Peter is saying there, but this is what we know. Because of Jesus' suffering, this is what we know. That for Christians, this life is as close to hell as we'll ever get. That proclamation that Jesus made, whether it was to imprisoned souls in hell and demons, or whether it was to the imprisoned souls who were in paradise awaiting for true salvation, whatever it was, whoever it was for, the proclamation was simple. Salvation has come. Salvation has been won. The war is over. And if you are a Christian... If you believe in me, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. No matter what kind of suffering you go through, no matter what pain you experience, no matter what trial you are submitted to, this is the worst it's ever going to get. See, we all live in two categories. If you're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian, here's the truth. That if you are a non-Christian, there's sad news. And the sad news is this. This life is as close as you'll ever get to heaven. If you're not a Christian, this life is as good as it's going to get. And it's a brief life at that. But good news if you're a Christian. This life is as close to hell as you'll ever be. And this is as bad as it's ever going to get. And this is as worse as you'll ever have or you'll ever experience. In John 3, he was, uh, Jesus was asked by a religious leader, uh, what must I do to, to know God? And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. In John 3, what does that mean? I mean, look to somebody next to you. Look to somebody next to you and say, you've been born. <laughs> you've been born. There's evidence you're here, you're alive, you're flesh and blood, you have been born. Now, whether you know your mom or dad, you got one. Whether you are in good relationship with them, you have one. You were born. There's a date, a birthday, whether, you, you know, maybe you know your birthday, maybe you don't. There's some people that don't know because of the circumstances of their life, but you have one. There's evidence of it. You're here. You were born once. You must be born Again, Jesus said in John 3, you're born of the flesh. Now you must be born again, but this time born of the spirit. It's been said that if you're born 
twice, you'll die once. But if you're only born once, you'll die twice. What does that mean? Well, if you're a Christian, you'll only experience death in this life and then have eternal life and never face the judgment of what the Bible calls the second death, which is hell. But if you are only born once, you'll experience death in this life and you'll experience a second death of judgment. But if you're a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever experience. He goes on to say, verse 21, he says, in this water referring to the floodwaters of Noah, because remember he's talking about Noah and his family. He says, and this water, the floodwaters of Noah, it symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, that which is the actual act of baptism. He says, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God, that's our faith in Jesus. He's not saying that baptism saves you. The Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. Paul is clear. Jesus is clear. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I've got additional passages at the bottom of your notes if you want to look those up later. We are saved through faith, through the grace of God. It's a free gift of God. We are saved through that faith in what God has done. Baptism does not save us. But just like Noah and his family were saved from judgment by being in the ark when the waters of God cleansed the earth, we who are in Christ will be saved and cleansed by God as well. Just as there was one door into that ark, there is one way into Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the gate. He is the door. There is no other way. And just as Noah, eight in total, walked into that one door as judgment fell upon the earth and cleansed the earth of its sin, they were safe in the ark. Are you in the ark, Jesus? The one way. And as God's judgment washes over the earth and washes even over our life, those in Christ will be saved. Are you in the ark? Are you washed by the power of God's cleansing flow. Baptism is a symbol that declares, I belong to Jesus. I'm in him and he is in me. And I'm cleansed from the dirt of my sin through Jesus. Are you baptized? Some of you are new to Jesus and it's time to tell the world that you belong to him. Baptism does not say, but it tells the world that you are. Baptism does not make you right with God, but it tells the world that you are in right relationship with God. It's a way that God declares through us that I believe I am washed by the blood of the lamb. I am in Christ, died to myself, rose, uh, risen again with Christ and alive in him. If you have never been baptized... On your connection card, say, I'm interested in baptism. It's a way to tell the world. It's the way that God says we are to tell the world, that we belong to him. Have you made that declaration? He says this. He says, this is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. You know what that means? That I can stand with a clear conscience before God and know that he receives me. If you were to die today, and you were to stand before God right now, and he were to ask you, why should I welcome you into my presence? What would you say? What would you say? I know what I would say. I'm bought by the blood of the lamb. 
I am washed clean by the work of Jesus on the cross. I am a son of God, made right through Jesus by faith. God, I'm coming home. He's like, get in here, you knucklehead. <laughs> you know, Come on in. What would you say? I can stand, he says, this is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Peter is saying, just as Noah and his family were in the minority and persecuted and mocked for following Jesus, guess what? As sometimes we will too. And they did what was right in an evil world and they entered the ark and the waters cleansed the earth. The ark, Jesus, is our safe foundation in the midst of persecution. He says this in verse 21. He says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the water that saves it's the cross. It's the resurrection that saves. It says, who has gone, this is talking about Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is right now at God's right hand. What does that mean? Right hand is a biblical uh, description of power, authority, and equality. If you sat on someone's right hand, you had all the authority of the person who you were uh, sitting with. And he says, listen, Jesus has all power and authority. He has the power of God, and it is his. He is God's right hand of power. And he says, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, let me be clear. Maybe we don't know what this little section means. Why did he talk about Noah? He talks about him again in his second letter to the same group of people in 2 Peter, and it's even more confusing there, all right? He mentions Noah again, and we may not fully understand what it means. Did he go to hell? Did he set the captives free? Did he? We don't know, but we know this. This is what we know for a fact. All of heaven is in submission to Jesus Christ. All of hell is in submission to Jesus Christ. All powers, all principalities, every angel, every demon, every unseen power and spirit knows who Jesus is and is in submission to him. Not going to be, is, right now. You know, think of this passage where it says Jesus, who's at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus? Well, he's not in your heart. He's in heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit to be his presence in our life. I was like, well, God's way up there. He's like, way up. I'm reminded of this story of this boy who's flying a kite, and he, the kite is going up higher and higher and higher till it disappears into the clouds in the sky. And someone comes up, and he sees no kite. He just sees a string going up into the clouds. And the person says, how do you know it's still up there? He says, because I feel it pulling. I feel it pulling me. Listen, you may not see Jesus, and you may wonder where he's at in your life, but I tell you what, I feel him pulling me. I feel him drawing me. I feel him speaking to me. He sits at the right hand, and he's pulling me towards himself. And for those of you who are suffering, Jesus Almighty God is still on the throne. And this is where he's about to go for the next two chapters, and I don't want you to miss the next couple of weeks, because he says, listen, whatever we're going through, he's on the throne. Whatever you're dealing with, He's on the throne. Whatever pain you're going to encounter or have encountered, he's on the throne. He's in control. 
every power, every principality, every spirit, every human authority is in submission to him. You're not alone. And he suffered also. I want to end with this uh, part right here. I'm going to read one more verse, but I want you to, this is where we're going to end our section in First Peter today, is the very first verse of the next chapter. He says this. He says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude and be ready to suffer too. See these images here, and I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who today, 11 today, will die simply because they are a Christian. And Jesus says, be ready. Now let's be honest, I don't know if we're ever going to experience that kind of suffering. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't personally think that America is going to get to the point where we're going to be, you know, round up and put in prison and have our arms cut off and, you know, tortured and persecuted Regardless of whether it ever happens or not, it's happening right now to millions and millions of our family. If you are a Christian, this is your family. This is your son. This is your daughter. This is your mother. This is your father. This is your brother. This is your sister. If you are a Christian, this is your friend. And it's happening now. And you may sit and wonder, why. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. For some of you, the, the understanding of, of your negative, narcissistic, selfish way of life, complaining to God about everything, you feel this deep conviction because you realize that you've got it pretty doggone good. But there's a world that's suffering for Jesus, and, and it's hard not to feel ashamed, not to feel guilty. And should we feel guilty? No. Should we feel ashamed? No. We need to understand this, is that God gives each of us a different part in this plan. And just because you're not suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose and a plan for you. I want you to realize this, is that the reason we are blessed is to bless others. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, 48. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You know why you're not suffering today? You want to know why God's blessed you? Because there's some Christians that need you. And God is preserving your life so that you can help them. God is giving you freedom and safety and blessing so that you can help them. You are blessed to be a blessing to their life. You don't have persecution so that you may help those that are persecuted. This is the big challenge. The reason we're blessed is to bless others. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about something you can do to make a difference. And I want to talk to just Christians for a moment. If you're not a Christian, then, then just kind of eavesdrop on us for a minute. Christian, you have a responsibility to our brothers in Christ. This is, this is the New Testament. It's writing to a church who's in pain and helping each other. On the screen, I encourage you to take out your phone and take a picture of this slide and maybe look into one of these three or another organization 
There's three here represented. One is the Voice of the Martyrs, and they're an organization that, that seeks to serve and to help and encourage the persecuted Christians around the world. Another organization that's similar is called Open Doors. Their website is Open Doors USA, and they are a powerful organization that, that reaches the persecuted and hurting. There's a, a movement called the Save Us Movement, which they are an organization that seeks to use legal government justice systems to bring down a stop to the persecution of Christians around the world using justice and using uh, like government justice and legal means to bring it into it. It's a very hard battle when you are living in a country that allows for and promotes the persecution of Christians. This is an organization that is trying to turn around the systems of the world. I'm going to play a video from one of them, and, and I want you just to, to follow and watch. Uh, this is just a video of one. It's not one that I think that you should be a part of. If you feel led to be a part of this one, then please do. But um, be a part of one, and I want you to watch this video. Jesus Christ was beaten, mocked, and misunderstood. He endured the cross and despised the shame. Though the King of Kings, he was persecuted and died for our sake. In this world we will face tribulation, but you promise you'll be right here with us. And he said to his followers, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And to this day, all over the world, they still do. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. If our God is for us, we are not alone. But Jesus promised more, that those who suffer for his name's sake would not be forgotten, not by God, and not by the family of God. The Voice of the Martyrs was founded by a persecuted Christian as well. Richard Wormbrand reached out for Christ to the Nazis in the early 1940s when they came into his native Romania. He felt a calling to reach out to atheists for Christ. He prayed for opportunities to share Christ with the Russians as well. And when the Soviet communists entered into Romania in 1944, they came right to his doorstep. Richard boldly witnessed to them as well. And just as Jesus promised, they hated him for it. He was arrested and sent to prison for a total of 14 years, often in solitary confinement, often tortured. Through it all, he held on to his love for God and committed to witness for Christ in word and deed, even to his torturers. In 1967, Richard, now free from jail and out of Romania, founded an organization committed to sharing the stories of others who, like him, were being jailed, persecuted, tortured or killed for their faith. He often quoted Hebrews 13:3, remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. That organization today is operating in 68 countries around the world, in regions that are dangerous, in countries that are restricted, reaching out through persecution response, through Bible distribution, and through frontline ministry. That organization is committed to stand with their persecuted family by saying, we will not let them suffer in silence. We will not let them serve alone. 
The Voice of the Martyrs. We will share their stories. We will mobilize the body of Christ to stand together with our brothers and sisters who face persecution wherever it happens. We will serve our persecuted family through practical and spiritual assistance. And we will carry on the mission of the one who called us, Jesus Christ, who said, Go and make disciples of all nations, no matter the cost. of the uh, many organizations that you can be involved in. And um, again, if you are a Christian, we have a responsibility. They suffer alone. They suffer wondering if we even care about them. Many of the responses that we get uh, when, when we respond and we read the stories is that they just, they just think nobody cares for them. Nobody is there for them. I mean, we are so wrapped up in our selfish, self-oriented, self-centered, narcissistic life and world that we don't even realize that our own children are suffering for Jesus, that our own family are suffering for Jesus that our own brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and moms and dads and friends are suffering today. Eleven will die today. We have a responsibility to encourage them, to pray for them, to write to them, to send some kind of support or encouragement to them. Please engage. Be involved in one. It doesn't matter how old you are. We have a responsibility. Don't turn a deaf ear to the cry of our own family in Christ. I feel very passionate about this. My heart bleeds for our Christians and our families What would you do if it was your son? If that was your mom? How urgent would you care? Be that. Be engaged, be involved. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for them. And, uh, you know, I believe in the power of prayer, but let's pray. First of all, let's pray for a change of heart in ourselves, And then let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and what we can do about it. All right? God, I thank you so much that, Lord, you suffered for us. The Lord, you are the righteous who suffered for the unrighteous us. You are the one who gave your life, God, who bore the weight of our sin and our shame and our sorrow, who loves us, God. Thank you so much to bring us to God. God, there are those brothers and sisters on the front line today, Lord, in prison right now, who yesterday, where it was Sunday on the Eastern Hemisphere, were secretly meeting for fear of their life. 
with one Bible to share with a whole group of people just wondering if they were alone, if anybody cares. God, we're so rich. We've been given so much, Father, and you said, to whom much is given, much will be asked. To whom much is given, much will be required. God, I pray that you would forgive us of our selfishness, Lord, and turn our hearts towards our friends and our brothers and sisters in Jesus. People we don't even know, people we may never get to meet, but Lord, their family, and they're calling out for us, Jesus. So God, forgive us for being deaf to their pain. God, show us what we can do. Those that are suffering. God, we pray for their strength. God, if it, if it is in your will, Lord, I pray for the healing. and the re Lord, those that are dying, Father, welcome them into heaven, Jesus. Those that will die today, welcome them. Faithful servants of the Lord. God, I pray that their courage would inspire us to be courageous, to be brave, to be bold, to not be ashamed. God, if they can stand in the face of, of evil, Lord, we can stand in the face of what little opposition we have. In Jesus' name, give them strength. Let them know they're not alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please engage. Don't leave it to us as a church to engage if all of us engage, we can all reach more. If we just as a church say, hey, as a church, we give money to Voice of the Martyrs. Well, that's great. No, all of us, all of us engage, write a letter, build a relationship. Okay? All right, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about suffering. All right? Well, let's get a real picture of it, okay? Because I don't think we know what it is. But we will suffer in our own way. And so the next couple of chapters is about how to thrive in the middle of suffering and persecution. So we're going to talk about that. Go ahead and uh, pass the offering bucket. Thank you, uh, ushers, for being uh, servants in this. We ask that you would uh, be faithful in your giving. Uh, thank you for your co commitment. Uh, you can give online. You can give in service either way. Thank you. And uh, let's pray over the offering. God, multiply what is given. Uh, Lord, you see what we have need of as we seek to minister to our community and, and the missionaries that we support and the ministry that we provide to our church. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, multiply it and bless our work, Father, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I'm gonna give it back to the band. And uh, let's, uh, man, I'm so inspired today, all right? emotional when I think about our family. This is our family. Men? Okay. I better stop. I'm going to go all nuts here. All right, so let's all stand and uh, um, I want you to picture their faces. This song is really pretty and I want us to sing, maybe sing the whole thing. It's okay. It's cool. uh, we're okay on time. Um, this is a song from God.
to us. This is a song of God's love for his people. And as we were worshiping earlier, all I can think of is Jesus, you know, singing over these persecuted Christians. You know, this is my soul for you. I love you. You're not forgotten. So let this be a, a song for them. And uh, maybe you need to know God's love too. He hasn't forgotten you either. And this is God's song uh, for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.